Happy Easter, everybody. You glad to be here this morning? So good. I know it's Easter because you all look so nice today. You got dressed up. A man came up to me before the 8 a.m. wearing a suit, and he said, Pastor, this is what a tie looks like, okay? And I said, I wear ties two times in a year. I wear ties at a wedding or a funeral. And since you're already married, you do not want to see me at a tie, in a tie at event about you, all right? But it's good to be together. I also had a man come up and he said, I know it's Easter when there's flowers in the men's room. All right. Beautiful. It's a beautiful day. It's good to be together. Pull out your Bible this morning, open to John 11. We're going to go to John 11. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. There are some ushers who will come down the aisle, and we'll get in the Word together today. As you're turning into John 11, I want to invite you back tonight. We're going to have a baptism tonight at 5 p.m. Yes! 5 p.m. 11 people are getting baptized in our church today. How cool is that? 11 people and counting. I'd like to see that number go up by the end of this service. 11 people, they're all under the age of 18. It's a beautiful thing. I also want to direct your attention to sort of the art installs and tell you something about these. These are cool. These are sort of symbolic of our weekend with uh, Good Friday depicted in red at the bottom and then sort of the blood of Christ moving up into Holy Saturday, which is sort of the white circles of paper in the middle and then heading towards resurrection day in the blue. But there's something about this install that you don't know about. In those white pieces of paper, every single one of those pieces of paper has a prayer on it. It's kind of like a little Easter egg, no pun intended. Little Easter egg. What happened was yesterday we had prayer around here for Holy Saturday where we had folks in the sanctuary praying and they wrote down prayers uh, for people that they love, people that they invited, they prayed for our church, they prayed for our world, they prayed for our city, and they rolled up those prayers and stuck them in there. Isn't that cool? Isn't that neat? And then folks walked through and prayed over every single chair. That is the most sanctified piece of fabric you have ever sat on in your entire life. People prayed over those. And what I want you to know this morning is that I wrote a prayer as well, and I put it in there. And I want to tell you about my prayer this morning. My prayer this morning is a prayer for you. And here's what I wrote on my piece of paper. I said, Father, I pray that every single person who comes to church today would have a life-changing encounter with Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen? That's what I prayed. I prayed that for you. I am praying that for you. I'm praying that there won't be 11 people who get baptized today. I'm praying there's 15, 20. Heck, I'm praying for 30 who get baptized. Amen? Amen? Amen. There are three ingredients to a life-changing encounter with Christ. And I want you to think about this with me for just a second. Three things that need to happen. Number one, profound truth. Number two, deep emotion. And number three, Powerful action. All three of those things, if they were to happen today, you would have an encounter with Christ. Think of it like this. Truth, tears, and power. Not your tears, not my tears, the tears of Jesus. Not my truth, not your truth, not the world's truth, the truth of Christ. Not human power, not worldly power, not political power, 
the power of Jesus. You need to see all three. What would happen if you saw all three of those things come together? I didn't make up those words. They come from John 11. Will you look there now with me? These three ingredients occur in one account. It's the story of Jesus and his encounter with three siblings. Martha and her sister Mary and their brother Lazarus. And the Bible tells us that Jesus had a very special relationship with these three. In fact, it tells us earlier in chapter 11, Jesus loved this family very much. And Lazarus gets sick. He becomes deathly ill. And so his sisters, Martha and Mary, they send for Jesus because they know, Jesus, you love Lazarus. So they, they, they beg Jesus to come, hoping that he might heal Lazarus. And earlier in the chapter, the Bible tells us that Jesus starts out immediately. He starts out to come to Bethany, but Lazarus dies before Jesus can arrive. And what happens in the account we're going to look at is that each of these siblings gets a scene. They each get a moment with Jesus. Martha needs truth. And that's what Jesus gives her. Mary needs tears. And that's what Jesus shows her. But Lazarus needs power because he's dead. He's dead. And so Lazarus needs power. Amen? Amen? Truth, tears, and power. Will you look at it with me now? John 11, starting in verse 17. Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Just hold your finger there. Four days. Here's what you need to know. There was a Jewish myth at the time that said that when a person died, their soul floated over the body for about three days, looking to see if there was an opportunity to re-enter. But once the soul discovered that the body was beginning to decompose, it would give up and depart Permanently, And John is saying, just in case you were wondering, I want you to know that Lazarus is dead, like really dead, okay? He's dead in this moment. Verse 18, Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. I want you to just try to imagine what this moment was like. Martha comes out to meet Jesus, and when Jesus sees her, I don't think he was looking into the face of of a happy camper. I think Martha was hurt, disappointed, let down. I hear in these words, disappointment. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. What took you so long? But even now, she said, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said, no, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? 
She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who's coming into the world. Scene one, profound truth. Profound truth, astounding truth. I am the resurrection and the life. Can I ask you something? Who says things like that? Who talks like that? Can you imagine? That is an astounding claim. If you said something like that, we would lock you up. There are padded rooms in this world created for people who say things like that. And you know what? Jesus said stuff like this all the time. All the time. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the bread from heaven. I am the light of the world. I am the resurrection and the life. This is one of those statements that you have to deal with. You just got to confront it. Because Jesus is saying, here's what he's saying. He's saying, Martha... I want you to know something. I don't just bring resurrection. It's more than that. I am the resurrection. I don't just have the power to give life. It's even more than that. I am eternal. Resurrection and eternal life has a face and a name. And you're looking at him. And this is astounding. And this is why you can't ever say, well, Jesus was a really good teacher, but I don't, I don't believe he was God. Jesus won't let you say that. This statement, Jesus is either speaking truth or he is wicked and deceived. It's astounding. But what I want you to notice this morning is that this is the way that Jesus responds to partial faith. So think about this with me for a minute. This is how he responds to partial faith, or what I'm going to call non-committal faith. Every commentator of this gospel agrees that John is presenting Martha to us, John who wrote the gospel. He's presenting Martha to us as a person with imperfect faith. Something's not quite right about her view of Jesus. Something's slightly broken. She believes things about Jesus for sure. She said, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. She believes Jesus has the power to heal, but, there, but it's not perfect. She places limits on Jesus. So for example, Martha, for Martha, proximity was a limit for Jesus. She was like, if you had been here, my brother would not have died, but you weren't here, you were over there. If you were here, you probably could have done something, but I don't think you could have done something from over there. I don't even know where you were, but I know you couldn't have done something. So for Martha, proximity was a problem, but also for Martha, time was a problem. She said, if you had gotten here just a little bit earlier, Lazarus would not have died. Now it's too late. Now we have to wait for the resurrection at the end of the time. And and finally, most importantly, Martha thought that death was a limit for Jesus. She was like, it's too late now. Maybe if you'd gotten here and he was still sick, I believe you probably could have healed him, but now he's dead, it's too late. And you know what's amazing about this? We would, maybe we would expect Jesus to say, you know what, Martha, you've you, you got, you got enough faith to, I can work with this. I want to encourage you, you know, gold star, um, Jesus, he grades on a curve. It's not bad. I got something to work with here. But actually, Jesus just does, he does just the opposite. He, he, he hits her with truth. He ratchets up the intensity. He says, you believe some things about me, but there's actually critical problems in your view about me. 
And they're so problematic that I need to speak bold truth to you in this moment. It's so amazing. You know, I'll admit to you, I was really convicted about this this week. The way that Jesus deals with people with sort of impartial or with partial faith. It really convicted me. Because I was, I was thinking about how much pressure I put on myself leading up to Easter Sunday. Okay? This is like true confessions of a pastor right now, right? We, we put a lot of pressure on ourselves. Pastors are supposed to love Easter, and I do. I love it, okay? But also, Easter kind of freaks me out, and it's self-inflicted. It, I get freaked out, and here's why. Because all the crowds come on Easter, you know, and I know a lot of you, I'm not going to see you again until next Easter. And I'm like, I got to preach the best sermon of my entire life. I got to be funny. I got to be a little bit winsome, like splashy humor there, splashy humor here. Don't say anything controversial, you know, keep it cool. Don't, don't dive into the tough stuff. Right. And you know, what's? I, I want you guys to realize I don't always dress up like this. Usually I look like a slob. All right. Come back next Sunday. You'll be lucky if I took a shower before I got up here to preach. I want you to come back. I put all this pressure on myself. And you know what's amazing? Jesus does just the opposite. He's like impartial faith, imperfect faith, people who are sort of wavering. I'm going to hit them with truth. I love this. With the crowds Jesus never, he never threw him softballs. He didn't try to woo them. He was like, I'm just going to be bold. I'm going to tell you the truth. This is amazing. Can I ask you a question this morning? How badly do you want truth? I want you to think about this with me. How badly do you want truth? Do you want to know what's true? Even if it's uncomfortable a little bit. Because I've realized, I'll be honest, I've realized that in my life, sometimes if I'm being totally honest, there are situations where I don't want to know the truth. For example, a little show and tell here. Some situations... I do, not know, I do not want to know what's true, okay? <clears throat> I don't want to know the truth. Is this a safe space right now? Can I be told? Is this safe? Okay. I love spam. I do. All right? I, but why, are we so, why do we feel horrible about admitting we like spam? I went to the grocery store yesterday, and I bought this, and I, and I was like, I can't, I can't just buy this. So I bought a bag of carrots just to balance it out, you know? <laughs> And then I was leaving Safeway and I bumped into somebody from the church and I promise you, here's what I did. I took the spam and I hid it behind my back and I just held out the carrots, right? Okay. Have you ever actually had spam though? Like when it's prepared, my wife and I eat these wonderful, sort of like a Japanese Hawaiian fusion thing called masubi. Masubi. And they take spam and they cut it and they fry it and then they lay it over rice and they wrap it in seaweed and it is delicious. Oh, it's so good. But can I tell you something? I have no idea what this is made of. And I don't want to know. Don't tell me. Don't ruin the joy for me. I can read the ingredients, but even those are not helpful. Here's what it says. Pork mixed with ham. But that's kind of vague. 
because what does pork mean? What part of the pork are we talking about? I don't want to know. Sometimes the truth makes us uncomfortable. Sometimes the truth is a little too honest. This is why children can be equal parts adorable and annoying. Because children have no filter. Am I right? I remember one time I was with some friends. This was quite a while ago. We were visiting friends in California, and they had a pool, and their little kids were out in the pool, and I was throwing their kids in the water, and they were having a great time, and I was throwing this little boy across the pool, and he would come back, throw me again, and, and we were sort of bonding and having a great time, and he swam over, and he said, pick me up, and I, I, I thought he was going to look into my eyes and say, Adam, you are like the coolest guy I've ever met, and here's what he said. He looked me in the eyes, and here's what he said to me. He said, your teeth are yellow. <laughs> And I thought, say that again in 10 years, you little punk. <laughs> Sometimes the truth is uncomfortable. I want to ask you a question this morning, and I'm being dead serious. I want you to think about this. I want every single one of you to answer this question. If you're, I don't care if you've been following Jesus for 30 years, or you're an agnostic, or you're an atheist, or this is the first time you've ever stepped foot in a church. Here's the question. Think about that. And do not just answer right away. I want you to really think about this. Would you want to know the truth about Jesus, even if it's different than what you currently believe? Would you want to know the truth? Because sometimes I wonder. I mean, what, is it possible that sometimes we believe things to be true, but we only believe that they're true because they, they allow us to continue to be comfortable in life? Like the ingredients in Spam. Or is it possible that I believe things that are true, but the only reason I actually believe them is because that's what my parents raised me to believe. But what if it's not true, which you were raised to believe? Or is it possible that I believe things about spiritual reality or even things about Jesus, but the only reason I believe them is because my peer group agrees with all of them. But what if some of those things are not true? Would I want to know? Did you know that Jesus intentionally waited to come to Bethany when Martha and Mary sent for him so that Lazarus would die so that he could raise him from the dead? That was a spoiler. I just ruined the end of the story. Lazarus gets raised at the end, okay? Is that a surprise? But did you, why don't you think about this? Did you know that Jesus intentionally waited to make sure that Lazarus died? Why would Jesus do that? I'm gonna show you where I'm getting this. This is earlier in the chapter. Martha and Mary have sent for him. Jesus, please come. Please come. Lazarus is sick. And here's what John tells us next. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Why in the world would Jesus do that? And how is that connected to 
his love. John says, because he loved them, he stayed two days later. And the answer is this, because he knew, Martha, you don't actually know who I am. You think you know who I am. You think you've got the truth. Maybe you inherited it. Maybe it's truth that makes you feel comfortable. But the problem is you don't have a complete picture of my true glory. And the only way I'm going to be able to show it to you is if I raise your brother from the dead. Profound truth. Now, it's one thing to claim to be the resurrection of the life, but Jesus is about to prove it outside of Lazarus' tomb. But before we get there, I, I want to show you what John tells us next. He says, first, wait, before that, I need you to see something else about Jesus. He showed Martha the truth, but now you know what you need to see? Deep emotion. Here's what he says next. Verse 28 Now, when she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here, and he's calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now, Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. And when the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. So these friends who had come from Jerusalem, they see Mary get up and they think she's going back to the tomb to cry some more and weep over her brother. And they follow her thinking that's where she's going. But now what's happening is all of these people are coming out to meet Jesus outside of Bethany. And here's what happened. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was, she saw him and she fell at his feet saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. It's the shortest verse in the Bible, right? A lot of you know that. But I wonder if you knew where it is. Shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. Isn't it interesting? That verse happens just 10 verses after perhaps the greatest truth claim of all time. I am the resurrection and the life. If you believe in me, you will never die. 10 verses later, Jesus breaks out into tears. And what would happen if you took both of those realities and you brought them together? But did you notice something? This is so fascinating. Two sisters, Martha and Mary, did you notice they said the exact same thing to Jesus? Isn't that interesting? Word for word, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And yet Jesus responds to each of them totally different. With Martha... Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. With Mary, he comes undone. And he weeps. And I think it's because he knew where Mary was at. John is presenting Mary to us 
as a woman who has been paralyzed by grief. Her life is unraveling. She's heartbroken. And Jesus knows it. Mary does not need the ministry of truth. Martha did. Mary needs the ministry of tears. And Jesus gives her that. Have you experienced any grief in the last two years? I have. Think of the grief we've experienced in our world. I've prayed with people who lost loved ones to COVID, paralyzed by grief. I prayed with a woman early on in the pandemic whose father was deathly ill, and she could not even, he lived on the other side of the globe, she could not go be with him. She had to Zoom with her father on his deathbed. I prayed with couples whose marriages unraveled because of all the stress and the tension. I've prayed with people who lost friendships, 20, 30-year friendships, because of all of the political division in our country, where people realize, I'm not even going to be friends with you because you don't share my political views. Grief, can you imagine that? I've prayed with people who lost jobs. And what if, in the moment of our greatest grief, we were to come to the realization, there's a God in heaven who grieves with us, Jesus wept. Is it possible the tears of Christ give us just as much of a window into the heart of God as his truth claims? And is it possible, actually the real power is when you take both of them and you bring them together. But there's something going on here that I cannot rush past. Look at your Bible at verse 33. I want you to know something. In verse 33, there are two words you see this, those words, deeply moved and greatly troubled. There's something happening here that we don't see. Every time those words occur in the New Testament, they always refer to anger. Always. Deeply moved is more than just Jesus is sad. He's angry. And that word greatly troubled is the same word that happens in John 5 earlier when, in the pool of Bethesda when Bethsaida, when the angel would stir up the waters. That's what it means to be stirred up. So Jesus is stirred up and he's angry and he weeps. It's sort of like, have you ever cried because you're really frustrated? There's like the sad cry, like I'm mourning. And then there's like the angry. You're like so frustrated. This usually happens to me in something to do with my computer, you know? <laughs> I get that spinning ball of death, and I'm like, oh, and you, you know, I don't cry, but, or have you ever, have you cried in the last month as you've watched the news and seen the tragedy and happening in Ukraine, or Yemen, or Myanmar? Have you wept? And it's, it's more than just sadness, it's indignation. This is Christ. Is it possible that Jesus, the most godly, loving, tender thing Jesus could do in this moment is to be angry at the death and the doubt and the brokenness that sin has brought into this family? 
He's angry at death, I promise you, because folks, the Bible tells us death is an intruder. It was not God's original design. Death is a result of sin, and when Jesus sees death ravage people's lives, the people he loves, do you know what Jesus feels? Indignation. But also, sin creates doubt. Questioning Jesus' motives. You know they were questioning his motives? Look what happens right after Jesus wept, verse 35. Look at verse 36. So the Jews said, see how he loved him? But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have also kept this man from dying? Then Jesus deeply moved again. That's the same word, angry. He came to the tomb. Jesus is thinking, Why don't people trust me? Why is there so much doubt? Why is death ruining people's lives? Why is sin ravaging this world that I love? And he feels this deep emotion. And I'll tell you something, friends. When you see that, recognize you're getting a window into the heart of God for our world and your life. And it's beautiful. And you take the tears of Christ and you put them with the proclamation of I am the resurrection and the life and you're starting to get a picture. But there's one more thing Jesus needs to do. Powerful action. Now we're prepared to see the powerful action of Christ. We've seen his ministry to Martha through profound truth. We've seen his ministry to Mary through deep emotion. But Lazarus is still in a tomb. And now we're ready for scene three. I'm going to read this to you. Read out the rest of the story and then we'll close. Then Jesus deeply moved again. He came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. And Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he's been dead four days. Martha still doesn't really understand the identity of Jesus. She's like, it's going to smell really bad. Are you sure you want to do this? And Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the man who had died came out, his hands and his feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him. And let him go. Powerful action. The words of Christ, so powerful. Did you know that the words of Jesus Christ are so powerful that dead people respond to them? Lazarus, a dead man, heard the words come out. And a dead man responded to those words. That is how powerful the words of Christ are. Amen? Amen. Amen. 
I love this. I read in a commentary this week. It's not an accident that Jesus had to specify Lazarus. The authority of Jesus is so great, had he not specified a name, all the tombs in the garden would have given up their dead to resurrection life. It would have been a zombie apocalypse, baby. <laughs> I love that. He's like, I'm, I'm Lazarus, come out. Lazarus came out. Friends, let me tell you something. This is a picture of salvation. The authority of Jesus Christ to call people out of darkness and into light. He calls people by name and he's calling your name this morning. He's the only one who can do it. He is the one who will go to a cross for human sin and lay in a tomb on Holy Saturday and rise again on Resurrection Sunday. He's got the authority. He's got the love. He's got the mourning and the anger over sin and brokenness. He's the resurrection and life. And he calls people by name. After presenting Martha with this truth claim, I am the resurrection and the life, Jesus asked her a question. I rushed past it. And maybe you were thinking, hey, you didn't talk about this. I'm gonna I saved it for now. He said, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. If you believe in me, you'll never die. And you know what he said next? He said, do you believe this? Do you believe this? Most of the time in the Bible, the word you is, it's plural. It's, it's written to communities. But in this moment, this you is strongly singular. He's talking to Martha. Martha, do you believe this? And right now in this moment, Jesus is talking to you. I am the resurrection and the life. Do you believe this? It's Easter Sunday. And Jesus is calling you out of darkness into light. Will you respond? I hope you will. There's a couple things you could do today to respond. Number one is you could just worship and sing and praise. In just a minute here, Joseph and Colin are going to lead us in amazing grace. Joseph is going to sing it in his native language of Korean, part of the song, and then English. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be amazing. I'm already emotional. And I just want you to, I just want you to give your heart to Jesus. Do you believe this? Sing amazing grace with all of your heart. Do you believe this? Maybe you need to come back tonight and get baptized. If you've not been baptized, come up and talk to me afterwards. I promise you there's enough water here. We'll just hook up the hose again. We'll baptize you. You can come back and get baptized. Do you believe this? Come back next Sunday. See if I've showered or not. Come back. Don't make this a one-off. Come back next Sunday. We're in the book of Romans. I promise you, you will love it. Invite you back. Will you pray with me? Let's do it. Lord, we love you so much. We are so thankful for this vision of Christ. Truth, tears, power, we need all of it. For those of us who've been following you for many years, Jesus, we just respond by saying we love you and we want to follow you all the days of our life. And for those of us who are new to this, I know some of you, you're, 
you're new, you're not sure, you, this is the first time you've been in a church and you're just thinking, I don't know, I, I'm not really hurting this. But maybe today is your day. Maybe you're thinking, I, what I'm hearing makes sense. I believe this. Why do I believe this? If that's you, that's okay. Don't be afraid, just pray. You could just pray this morning and say, God, I don't know a lot about Jesus, but what I've heard, I believe. I believe what he said. I believed what he did. I believe he died on a cross for my sins. I believe he rose again. I believe these things and just put your hope in Christ alone this morning for the forgiveness of your sins and for new life. You could pray that prayer as we worship now. We love you, Lord. We thank you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. Happy Easter.